This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. From the brink of administration to the brink of Premier League glory, it's been some recovery over the near 10-year stewardship by FSG at Anfield. Welcome along to Blood Red, I'm Guy Clark as we bring you an exclusive interview with former Liverpool chairman Sir Martin Broughton, the man who sold the club to the then known as New England Sports Venture Group, who we now of course know as Fenway Sports Group back in October 2010. Over the course of the next 20 minutes or so, Sean Bradbury catches up with Sir Martin to discuss how close the Reds really came to administration under Tom Hicks and George Gillette, as well as discussing how impressed he's been with FSG's reign at Anfield, and we'll also hear how they've added value to the club and even any potential exit strategy. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Sir Martin, uh, a simple a simple but broad question to start. After 10 years of Fenway Sports Group or New England Sports Ventures, as they were known at the time, um, after a decade at the helm of Liverpool and with all the success they brought on and off the pitch, do you think in, in all your extensive years of business that this is the best deal you've ever been involved in? Um, it's, it's, it's one of the best. It's, it's so different to most of the other deals I've been involved in. Um, you, I've been involved in a lot of deals. Some of them have been extremely successful. Um, in the end, in a way which is quite hard to evaluate because you buy a corporation, merge it into your existing corporation, and after a time, it's hard to know what the financial benefits are, for example. Um, because it's all integrated at that stage. You just know the whole is a great deal better than it was before it's two parts. This is different in the sense that it's an entity. It's not been merged with anything or anything like that. Um, and so to be able, it's easier in this one, in that sense, to see where it was, where it is, and the dramatic change um, than, than it's somewhere else. But, yeah, I'm, I'm mightily pleased that it's gone as well as it has. Mm. And obviously, we've we've spoken to you before. We had the, the privilege of uh, quite a big interview back in 2018. But just to kind of highlight how much things have changed, how close do you believe the club really was to administration you know, before you came in and before things were resolved? I mean, it was very close. But it was at its closest just before we did the deal. Because when I came in, it was very close in the sense that the loans were being renewed on a weekly basis. That's almost unheard of. I mean, that is serious crisis, mm. financial crisis. However, the reason that it was being kind of renewed on a weekly basis was that um, Hicks and Gillette understood and the banks understood that to put Liverpool into administration would be front page headlines um, and could have much bigger impact on the banks and their negative PR for the banks as it could, or, or more so than the money was worth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So in, in a sense, although it was very, very close to administration, um, there was no willingness to pull the trigger and Hibson Gillette knew that mm. and played on it 
the time we got through to the end of the sort of six month process of um, doing the deal, um, the banks had changed their position. The feedback they were now getting from the fans was we'd rather go into administration than carry on with Hicks and Jet. Mm. Right, so the PR had moved from being a huge negative to a much more balanced position and could have been presented almost as well this is this is you know, we know we're doing the right thing by the fans as well as for the for the banks. Mm. So I have no doubt that had we not completed the deal when we did within a couple of weeks of the administration. Wow. Well, but Hicks and Gillette still didn't believe that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I believe it. Yeah. You, who, who knows? Mm. You can ask the banks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my, my belief was that they had been persuaded that the PR was no longer negative. Mm. I see. Well, before we move on to just assess what we've seen in this past decade under Fenway and you know all, all the changes they've brought and the, and the glory they've they brought to the club under their ownership. Just one final recap of the situation as it was in, in 2010. What did you make of them as people and as potential owners and how did their kind of ethos and philosophy and what they, what they presented to you, how, how did that fit in with your guiding principles as chairman? It was, a, in many ways, the deciding factor. Um, they got the history at Red Sox. It, you could see what they'd done. They'd bought a club with tremendous tradition, tremendous history, which hadn't won anything for a long time, mm. like 80 years or something. <laughs> um, it was a club which had a new site for a new um, baseball field um, already purchased. And people were saying, you've got to knock down the old one, you've got to build a new one. Um, they came in and they said, why, why would you throw away all the traditional um, yeah, of Fenway. Um, and the parallels to me uh, with the Anfield situation where we had the new stadium and the old stadium and people being persuaded that um, you couldn't build at Anfield. And John John coming over, looking at the whole place mm. and saying, well, why couldn't you? That's what they told us. Last, why, why would you throw away this is Anfield? Why would you throw all that cop history, etc.? It's, it's all part of the, it, 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 the new stadium, which they liked um, as an Emirates type stadium, didn't feel right for Liverpool Football Club there. Anfield felt right. Um, no, they didn't know that they could. They were told they couldn't, but mm. believed they could. Um, but they were certainly willing to help try. So to me, the fact that they understood sport, understood the 
tradition, understood the history, understood what it meant to fans. Um, had been there, done it, invested, built a well serious winning team. That really was showed to me they looked like they had the cultural fit. Um, you, their problem in many senses there was the fans uh, position was not just Hicks and Gillette now, it was also verbalizers of Yanks now. Mm. And what were we doing? We were bringing in another bunch of Yanks. So that was kind of, if you leave aside the money aspect, and the money was actually identical, mm. the two bidders were, you know, hate apart. So although in fact Fenway was slightly fractionally ahead, it wasn't the, the fractional difference there that made any difference at all. Um, Peter uh, Lim, I thought, would be a very good owner. Um, he just didn't have the history to demonstrate it. Um, he showed to me a lot of commitment that demonstrated it, and I think he would have been a good um, but when it came down to weighing up pros and cons of the two, they had this. Mm. So obviously we we all know, every fan knows how, how things proceeded and um, you know, through your chairmanship, the FSG did take over. That was all confirmed, I think, October 2010. And quite soon after, we, when we first heard from, from Fenway, we discovered this mantra would be under-promise and, and over-deliver. Uh, and I think with the decisions we've witnessed, certainly around, as we've already discussed, Anfield redevelopment, I think even the fact that they were ma- able to bring in Jurgen Klopp as, as manager altogether, um, at what you would say is potentially a bit, a bit of an ailing club at the time, I think those, those big things show that, that they have, so far, uh, achieved, achieved their aim. Have you been, have you been surprised, though, by, by the extent of their success to this point? Just to turn to the business side of things, obviously the, the business of football is is a huge deal now, and you know we, we cover it a lot. Most news outlets are 
very much dipping their toe into that type of thing nowadays. And, and valuation is, is something that, especially around Liverpool, we've heard a lot about recently. I think pre, pre-pandemic, we were seeing valuations of Liverpool around or even above the, the two billion mark. I mean, if, if that's the case, that's, that's very impressive growth from, from the initial outlay that, that Fenway put in. Do you think those estimates are accurate? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think they are pretty accurate, really. I mean, the whole Premier League valuation, if you add up all the teams, is a long way from where it was then. Hmm. Um, you know, these things can go in cycles. Um, if you look back to Hicks and Gillette, um, they got their timing wrong. Yeah, they bought entirely with debt, a little bit ahead really of um, financial crash. Mm. Um, so they finished up with the debt being expensive, not being able to afford it, uh, an equity valuation that's declining because all equity values are declining, um, not just football clubs and not just Liverpool football club in there. Um, so you know, there, if they had been able to buy at a different time um, or seen a different financial scenario occur, the crash of the pattern at the time, they could have made quite a lot of money out of it. Mm. They could have bought it for what they did, um, held it, put no equity in at the time, and then sold it a bit later and made a lot of money. They basically just got their timing wrong. Mm. Um, and uh, Fenway got their timing absolutely right. <laughs> um, the answer to the deal, really. Um, yeah, I would have thought that kind of valuation would be a yeah, reasonable, reasonable sort of valuation in today's market. Mm. Following on from that, then, this is something of a speculative question, I suppose. But what, what do you think the end game is for them at Liverpool? And would they already be thinking of a potential exit strategy, do you think? Yeah, um, this isn't meant to be alarmist, but it would be normal to be thinking of an exit strategy. Mm. <coughs> um, I don't know anything, right? So I don't know any more than you do. Um, what I would say is exactly the same situation is in play at Mitzvahs. Right? Pre-pandemic, leave, leave aside that, because that's affected all sport. Um, and, you know, they've got a lot of money tied up in sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the valuation of Red Sox compared to what it was when they bought it, again, they've taken it from being an also-ran traditional team to a very successful team um, and every baseball club's valuation has gone up dramatically over the period of their ownership and they've owned it a lot longer than they were in mm. um, not sure how much longer probably a decade longer or something like that right? they haven't sold it uh, but the same equation must be going through their head you always look at you know, what's it worth what do we buy it for what could we get for it? Are we at the moment of selling or are we just happy to sit here and carry on with it? 
build a bigger empire by getting something else. They don't don't get dividends really out of these clubs as such. I mean, it's it's a it's a capital valuation process Mm. from a money viewpoint. I mean, I haven't actually looked at the Liverpool accounts in terms of dividends, but it might be surprised if there was any anything much going out by dividends. So ultimately, if you've got to, you've got to realise the capital value actually to to, to make a profit. Um, so yeah, they uh, to me they would always be looking at is it the right time to sell. They but equally they would always be looking at this is it the right time to sell. They've been in that for twenty years now. They've been in Liverpool for ten years now. So they don't look like guys who are rushing to cash out. Mm. Um, one question then concerning uh, Mr. Timo Werner. Obviously, we, we've seen the, the team you support Chelsea nip in and, and make a move for him. There was uh, Liverpool being credited with an interest in him for quite a while, especially before the onset of, of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, just a question then about, about the business model, really, of, of, of FSG. Knowing what we know about their adherence to financial fair play and how that was quite a key plank of, of what they wanted to do with the club from the outset, really, and, and they were open about that. Do you think the current climate is a, is a threat to their business model? You know, certainly when you look at comparisons to, say, Chelsea or Man City, who have a bit of a different setup. It hasn't affected them so far, has it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think they've been very astute in their market dealings. Um, they've brought in... Uh, an outstanding array of players, but they've been bringing through an outstanding array of players as well, which is absolutely right. They much focused on acquiring people, um, players fairly early in their career, not sort of when they're over over the top or already at the peak. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think it's it's worked extremely well. Um, and very stupid bringing in players who you like uh, Robbie Firmino and people like that who are not obvious stars until they come to Liverpool and suddenly they are. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, it ain't broke. Last couple of questions then. Obviously, we, we've mentioned that Chelsea is your team, but when, as, as now looks inevitable, Liverpool do lift this Premier League uh, trophy, Will you afford yourself a little bit of satisfaction and a, and a smile when that happens? Oh, absolutely. I, I actually find I, f- I find the Chelsea Liverpool games very difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've um, I've been going down to Chelsea regularly now for sixty six years. I first went when I was seven, um, and, and so the allegiance is extremely strong. You can't come into a club like Liverpool um, and not build an allegiance with it very quickly um, uh, with everything around it. So uh, no, I, I now find myself really supporting two teams and I don't like it when they play each other. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. And uh, in, in terms of Fenway themselves, do you, do you still have any contact with John Henry, Tom Werner and co? Um, very occasional. They were kind enough to invite me to Madrid for the Champions League final, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I'll send them the odd text message for, you know, after, after a game, if it's been a particular, you know, like you know, the Barcelona game last year and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so we're loosely in touch. I was like, loosely in touch. Share the occasional text. I, mean, I, I saw that, I, mean, I, I saw them in the gym, but before that, I haven't seen them for three years now. Uh, and then my very final question didn't really want to mention Hicks and Gillette too much because I you know, wanted this to be about yourself and, and, and Fenway but if I may just one, one question I just want a, a reflection from yourself um, on these quotes 10 years on but you'll of course remember those comments from Tom Hicks about the sale being an epic swindle at the hands of rogue corporate directors uh, a decade on from that colourful perspective how, how do you reflect on those words? Yeah um... No, definitely. So, do you want to do the time? I think the great thing was we had two buyers, both of whom were very keen to buy. So we had an auction. Um, we'd run a lengthy process, and I think it's fair to say the um, publicity it got, not not the sale itself. I'm not talking about that publicity. I'm talking about the publicity got about being available for sale. Huge publicity when one of the newspapers was running, I think, seven pages on a, on a Chinese um, potential buyer who never actually even signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> um, there wasn't a person in the world possibly potentially interested in buying it who didn't know it was the um, And we got two key bidders at the end, and they both bid the same amount. What more could you say than that is market price? Um, so you epic swindle. Um, I would think he would be even more convinced today than epic swindle because you know, price the valuation today versus the valuation then. Um, he would be seriously upset that he didn't manage to keep it. But it was the market price. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.